Our second message <clears throat> is from Mr. Lawrence Gregory, and I don't have the title, I'm sorry. Oh, good, Trevor. Good afternoon. The scriptures give us seven things about why we are here today. In Leviticus, the 23rd chapter, verse 23, we read, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, in the first day of the month, now, that's not according to the Gregorian calendar, which used to be the Julian calendar, but that's according to God's calendar. Today is the first day of the seventh month of the biblical calendar as identified in the scriptures. In the first day of the month shall you have a Sabbath. So this we would call an annual Sabbath, one of seven. A memorial. A memorial is a reminder of a significant event or person. So that was explained very uh, carefully in the first message about the significance of a memorial and why we memorialize and how we memorialize things and people. Of blowing of trumpets, trumpets in the plural. So there are various trumpet sounds that are blown with different significant meanings. Thus, as we take a spiritual analogy and a comparison as a metaphor and as an illustration of other truths, we see there are a plurality of messages about this day of the blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. So it's not only holy today, but it's a commanded assembly. We're commanded to be here today. All that are Israelite born and all that are Christian believers are commanded by the scriptures to observe this day and to recognize it in our dwellings or in a home, in our home, this day of the Feast of Trumpets. You shall do no servile work therein. So this is a further explanation of the Sabbath, the significance of that. But you shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. So today we give God an offering of the things that he has blessed us. And we give that to him. Now, again, in Numbers, the 29th chapter, just one verse, we read, And in the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall have an holy convocation. You shall do no servile work. That's a repetition. It is a day of blowing the trumpets unto you. And so this is where we have the title for the message today from uh, Numbers 29.1, A Day of Blowing the Trumpets. So we see that it, um, it, takes, it takes a lot of observing throughout our lifetime to fully understand and appreciate. It takes hours of reading and examining many, many scriptures because there are voluminous scriptures referencing to the events that are encompassed by this day of the blowing of trumpets. So we're going to just look at a few of the points and a few key uh, reasons for the significance of this day of blowing of trumpets. And let's go back to Numbers, the 10th chapter. And we were there with Matt Steele in the first message, but uh, I'm going to read a number of verses here. Numbers 10, and uh, we want to read uh, all... 10 of these uh, verses, the first 10 of chapter 10. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Make you two trumpets of silver. Now, silver in the scriptures is significant of uh, redemption. Remember the 30 pieces of silver and the silver trumpets and the silver in the tabernacle uh, service and uh, other things about silver being a reminder of redemption. Of a whole piece shall you make them, that you may use them for the calling of the assembly and for the journeying of the camps. And when they shall blow with them, all the assembly shall assemble themselves to you at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And if they blow with but one trumpet, then the princes 
which are heads of the thousands of Israel, shall gather themselves unto you. When you blow an alarm, then the camps that lie on the east parts shall go forward, like is represented in our photo over here of the camps surrounding the uh, uh, tabernacle there in the uh, wilderness. When you blow an alarm the second time, then the camps that lie on the south side shall take their journey. They shall blow an alarm for their journeys. But when the congregation is to be gathered together, you shall blow, but you shall not sound an alarm. So it's a different sound. And the sons of Aaron, the priest, shall blow with the trumpets, and they shall be to you for an ordinance forever throughout your generations. And if you go to war in your land, now notice, if you go to war in your land, God didn't intend for Israel to be a peacekeeping force all over the world and having our armies and all kinds of wars unless it was for the protection of our Israel peoples and at times to uh, protect other nations that were looking to us for security. But we weren't to be a militant force just going out and stirring trouble all over the world. But when we were attacked in our land, blow the trumpet against the enemy that oppresses you. Then you shall blow an alarm with the trumpets and you shall be remembered before the Lord your God and you shall be saved from your enemies. And, verse 10, in the day of your gladness, and in your solemn days, and in the beginnings of your months, you shall blow with the trumpets over your burnt offerings, and over the sacrifice of your peace offerings, that they may be to you for a memorial before your God. I am the Lord your God. So we see now that these silver trumpets had a significant sound as they blew different sounds and different meanings. Now, just as a way of an illustration today, and for an example, because uh, I don't know what the sounds of those silver trumpets were several thousand years ago, but uh, thanks to Brian Gaywith, he's put together some sounds of uh, the bugle. Now, we know we're the army of God. We're Christian soldiers. And so the bugle is a trumpet with a, a smaller, can have keys or not with the with a curved uh, tubing, like a cornet or like a trumpet or like a uh, bugle, they're similar. And so we're going to listen to a few bugle sounds today just by way of um, reminding us and seeing if we can recognize and as an illustration and example of how we recognize certain sounds. And so Israel, when they were encamped and they heard that bugle sound, or those trumpets sound, they knew if it was war or travel or move or get up or elders to come or the leaders or everybody to assemble, they knew what the significance was. So I'm going to sit down right here and then we're just going to take a couple of minutes because these are very brief uh, bugle sounds provided to us by way of the uh, internet and Brian Gaywith. So are we ready, Brian? Okay. Uh, we'll listen to the first call is assembly. Okay, the second call is the charge that we all know about. If you've seen many movies, you've seen that one. Next one is the church call to worship. Next is the officer's call, call for the leaders. Next is Reveille.
Next is two arms. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, Brian, before we close out the last one, would you go ahead and play Payday? This is the call to Payday. We, we've got to pay God today some money, so this is called to Payday. Notice that one's a little longer. <laughs> and the last one is one we're all familiar with, taps. By the way, there are words to taps. It was written, the um, words was a prayer by a Confederate soldier during the Confederate War, and then they adopted the um, music to the uh, prayer. So I have a copy of that sometime if you would like to have a copy. Now, for a few more of the significant Old Testament scriptures, let's go to Isaiah, the 18th chapter. Isaiah, the 18th chapter, verse 1. Woe to the land shadowing with wings, which is beyond the rivers of Ethiopia. So Isaiah was in Jerusalem, and he was addressing to this nation. Now he's been identifying different nations surrounding these chapters and bringing judgments against them. And he's bringing a call of alarm to this unnamed nation that's west of Cush, or west of Africa, west of uh, Ethiopia, and it is to a land shadowing with wings. Now, it's not named here, but the references here we're going to see is to our beloved America, the United States of uh, America. Just as we see this open eagle, the wings on this eagle on our flag. Brian, bring up the next slide. We see these wings of the great seal of the United States on the obverse side of our great seal, the spread wings. Everyone recognizes these spread wings as an emblem of the United States. And even you've seen in different ways illustrations, sometimes they'll have an eagle like this without the head and body, symbolizing like, if you look on a map, it's like North America and South America, but the North American continent, our Canadian brethren of Israel. But this overspreading wings, overshadowing wings, which is beyond the rivers of uh, Africa, or Cush, Cush and Ethiopia the same, and they were descendants of Ham, who was basically so many of the uh, Hamites in Africa, Egyptians among them, that sendeth ambassadors 
by the sea, even in vessels of bulrushes upon the waters. So it's a land separate from uh, Israel by waters. So they had to send ambassadors across these waters. And today we would do it rather than shipboard, steamers and things by airplane perhaps. Uh, saying, and notice the word saying in your italics in the Hebrew. And I checked this a number of times. This saying is added by the uh, <coughs> translators, and it's not in the original. So just leave out the word saying, because it's added, and it's in italics to show that it was added. Go ye swift messengers. Now this word messengers and ambassadors is, and are different words in the Hebrew. The different significance of the envoys of the ambassadors of this nation. And then the messengers that are to go and take a message... And it's vague whether the message is to this land or from this land. But these messengers are to take this message. But it means, it seems to be, to the nation. Go, you swift messengers, to a nation, scattered and peeled, to a people terrible from their beginnings hitherto, a nation meted out and trodden down, whose land the rivers have spoiled. Now, there's a number of things in this verse here. And those who are um, Israel Heritage Studies, who have read many books and references, uh, and I've talked about this in past years and explained the significance of the importance here about this tall people that are light, that are, that are light complexion, complexion, that are, well, references tell us during World War I, the average height of the soldier was five foot two inches, but the Americans, the average height of the American was 5'11". Now, we know our American Indians are smooth and uh, are clean shaven. They don't have a beard, none of them have. So if this is a reference to the natural natives of this continent or to our American people uh, that are scattered, we're scattered all over the world, of course, Terrible from our beginning, a, a strong, mighty nation, meted out and trodden down. Now, I uh, shared, and I didn't bring reference on this, but uh, the United States is the most surveyed nation on earth. It is the one that is surveyed, plotted. Back in the 1800s, our government passed a law requiring all of the surveys of the United States to be on a section, a one mile section, and then a half mile section. And the uh, words here, trodden down, whose land the rivers have, have spoiled, or the Hebrew spoiled means divided. Now the United States is one of the most divided nations and quartered of our rivers. The Ohio River, the Mississippi River, the Missouri River, you can think of the Colorado River, you can think of the important significance of the separation. But I'm going to read something from um, one of the references here, uh, this is from uh, uh, Truth and History uh, by uh, Clement Humbard, who was a brother of Rex Humbard, uh, from an article. Uh, Isaiah translated, whose land the rivers have spoiled. Translators say, whose land the rivers have divided or quartered. You can check in your different translations in the Hebrew for that. We are the only nation on earth where almost every state is divided by rivers. The Connecticut River divides Vermont and New Hampshire. The Potomac separates Maryland, West Virginia, and Virginia. The Savannah separates South Carolina from Georgia. The Ohio separates Ohio from West Virginia, Ohio from Kentucky, Indiana from Kentucky, and Illinois from Kentucky. The Mississippi separates Minnesota from Wisconsin, Iowa from Illinois, Arkansas from Tennessee, Arkansas from Mississippi, and Louisiana from Mississippi. The Red River of the North separates Minnesota from North Dakota. The Missouri River separates Nebraska and Iowa and Nebraska and Missouri. The Red River of the South separates Texas from Oklahoma and the Rio Grande separates Texas from Mexico. The Colorado River divides Arizona from California. The Snake River separates Idaho from Washington and part of Oregon. The Columbia River separates Washington from Oregon. You can get your map and look out and you'll see that America, a land overshadowing with wings that is divided by all of these rivers and separated and quartered out and, 
uh, ask ourselves, does this apply to any other people? Well, continuing on. Here's a message. All you inhabitants of the world and dwellers on the earth, see you when he, and I capitalized the pronoun he in my Bible because it was a small h, he lifts up an ensign. An ensign is a flag or a symbol of our nation. In the mountains, and when he blows a trumpet, hear you. When he, when God blows the trumpet, listen to what he is saying. For so the Lord said unto me, I will take my rest, and I will consider in my dwelling place, like a clear heat upon herbs, and like a cloud of dew in the heat of, in the heat of harvest. For, uh, for the harvest, when the bud is perfect, and the sour grape is ripening in the flower, he shall both cut off the sprigs with pruning hooks and take away and cut down the branches. Do some trimming. Uh, they shall be left together unto the fowls of the mountains and to the beasts of the earth, and the fowls shall summer, summer upon them, and all the beasts of the earth shall winter upon them. Verse 7, In that time shall the present be brought unto the Lord of hosts of a people, the present brought to God of a people scattered and peeled, terrible from their beginning, hitherto, a nation meted out and trodden underfoot, whose land the rivers have spoiled, and those are brought to the place of the name of the Lord of hosts, the mountain of Zion. Now I can't go, and I'm not going to go through the many references, although we'll touch on a few, showing the significance of the return of Israel from captivity in the future when Christ comes and is brought back to the Holy Land and distributed in that area, representative of the 12 tribes of Israel, and then distributed in their uh, homeland areas around this earth. But this certainly seems to be a prophecy that can apply to none other than to our Israel peoples of the significance and the importance of the present that's brought to God in that not only uh, spiritual return, physical return, but in the spiritual resurrection as well. Now, let's go on to, uh, while we're in Isaiah, the 27th chapter. Uh, since... In past years, I've gone over these, and we have many books in our library, and probably in your library, you have many, many books referencing and explaining in more detail Isaiah 18 and uh, some of the application of that to our beloved uh, American nation and our people of Israel. I'll just leave that at that, but we'll go on to Isaiah, the 27th chapter, and uh, verse 12 and 13. Yeah, Brian's with me. Okay. Isaiah 27, beginning in verse 12. I didn't want to back up and show a number of references to in that day, this day. Now we know in the scriptures a day is likened to a time. And a day in prophecy is as a year. So apparently it appears through much study we can verify that the day of the Lord seems to be a period of about one year approximately one year, a day as a year in prophecy. We can, we, we can show that and have justified that in many ways. But it shall come to pass, in verse 12, in that day, that day that's ahead of us, that the Lord shall beat off from the channel of the river unto the stream of Egypt, and you shall be gathered one by one, O you children of Israel. And it shall come to pass in that day, that's ahead of us. That the great trumpet shall be blown, and they shall come which were ready to perish in the land of Assyria, and the outcasts in the land of Egypt, and they shall worship the Lord in the holy mount of Jerusalem. Now we know today Egypt is very significant in a lot of things that are happening in Libya and Tunisia and in the African nations and the, and the uh, nations around the earth that are uh, Muslim religious in uh, the influence in their government and in their peoples. And so Egypt is playing a lot. And now we know just, I'm just going to mention here briefly, because we won't have time to go into that, but we know that the beast power 
is going to overthrow some of those Arab nations. And Egypt will be overthrown, will, be, will not escape from the power, but Libya and Ethiopia will be allies with that German beast power in Europe. They'll be allies with them, but Egypt will escape uh, the, uh, ally, the alliance with it, but it will be overthrown until God, who loves Israel, who loves Egypt, God who loves Assyria. And you know, isn't it interesting? that in our history and in the scriptures, so much of the combination of references to Egypt and Assyria and Israel, and those three, that, and, and there's other scriptures to show that God is going to do special blessings in that uh, uh, relationship of those three nations. Let's go to uh, Zechariah, the ninth chapter, minor prophet here. There are a number of things in Zechariah 9, but we just want to look at... Uh, uh, chapter 9, Zechariah. And I'm going to go ahead and read a number of verses here, 9 through 17. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king comes unto you. He is just and having salvation, lowly, and riding upon an ass, and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. Now, if I were to ask, what are the two most important, significant events in the history of mankind? Now, we could have a lot of uh, discussion, and a lot of questions, and a lot of throwing back and forth, but we might tend to say, the first coming of Jesus Christ... Because without that coming of Christ, the rest of it would mean nothing. There would be nothing. There would be no salvation. There would be no eternity for us, no blessing, no hope for us who are sinners or mankind or the billions of individuals. You know, the, the, the population of earth today is 7 billion. Can we imagine from the time of Adam how many dozens of billions of people who have lived that the vast majority of those will be sons and daughters of God in His kingdom forever and ever. That's a lot of folks in the kingdom of God. And I'm glad for that, that there's going to be so many, that everyone is going to have an opportunity. And that's why we rejoice. And I will, now notice the many I will, it's the future tense of what God is saying. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off. And the earlier chapter shows that the Jude is likened to uh, God as his uh, battle bow, and Ephraim is his arrow, and he uses that. And God uses Israel as an army. He's used them in the past and will in the future. Now, even though I'm just going to say this, and we won't be able to spend a lot of scriptures on it, we'll see a little bit of reference to that. But in the future... Even though we're going to have the great tribulation and a great of national captivity and declension of our Israel peoples, just as Christ returns, there's, there's going to be a revitalization and there's going to be war. And Israel will fight at Jerusalem with the Jews against those surrounding nations that come in that battle of Armageddon to destroy them. And at that time, when Christ comes at a time of great war and great holocaust, and Jesus said, if he didn't come and cut it short, no flesh would be saved alive. And we know in looking at those things that are going to come on this earth, between now and Christ's come, uh, there's going to be probably great volcano activity, great earthquakes, nuclear bomb explosions, great warfare, decimation to the planet of Earth's population will be decreased to about 10% of what it is today. They will survive and go over into the millennium, those physical peoples. And so a lot of things are happening that we, that we can't show now, but to continue on here. And the battle bow shall be cut off. And he shall seek, speak peace unto the heathen. And his dominion shall be from sea even to sea, and from the river even to the ends of the earth. Ask for you also by the blood of thy covenant. I have sent forth thy prisoners out of the pit wherein is no water. 
Turn you to the stronghold, you prisoners of hope. Even today do I declare that I will render double unto you. When I have bent Judah for me, filled the bow with Ephraim, and raised up thy sons, O Zion, against thy sons, O Greece, O Greece, or nations, or uh, in the Bible identification is Jew or Gentile, that is Israel or, Gent- or Gentile, or other nations. Now, you could make a case for the uh, Greco-Macedonian Empire and past and God's warfare with Israel and the Maccabees and the, and the Epiphany uh, and all of the significance of the wars of the Jews under the Maccabees with the Greeks. And, uh, you know, you can make a case for that here. But we'll continue. And made thee as the sword of a mighty man. And the Lord shall be seen over them. And his arrow shall go forth as a lightning. And the Lord God shall blow the trumpet. And he shall go with whirlwinds of the south. The Lord God himself will blow that trumpet. And the Lord of hosts shall defend them. And they shall devour and subdue with sling stones. And they shall drink and make a noise as through wine. And they shall be filled like bowls and as the corners of the altar. And the Lord their God shall save them in that day as the flock of his people. For they shall be as the stones of a crown lifted up as an ensign upon his land. For how great is his goodness and how great is his beauty. Corn shall make the young men cheerful and new wine the maids. Going over into a time of great blessings. After the harvest, before the harvest rather, we saw earlier. There's going to be a pruning. There's going to be devastation. There's going to be all kinds of, when you, when you prune and cut off the dead branches. I was pruning one of my maple trees uh, yesterday. A little bit, getting rid of a few of the little uh, dead twigs and branches. Save them up for firewood in the winter time just to start my fireplace with. And uh, burn them up. And that's what's going to happen as God comes. The tares are going to be taken out. They're going to be removed. They're going to be burned up. And there's going to be judgment at the time then of that coming harvest that are pictured by uh, other uh, significant holy days. Okay, continuing on then, we're going to uh, change our context uh, somewhat uh, to uh, a different way. Now, New Testament. We know the Olivet Prophecies, uh, Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21. We're not going to go through all of those, but we will turn to Mark, the 13th chapter. Mark 13, verse 24 through 27. But in those days, after that tribulation, days, that tribulation, the tribulation, the great tribulation, Jesus identifies it in the emphatic the, days, years, a few years of tribulation. After the tribulation, the sun shall be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, the heavenly signs, the stars of heaven shall fall, and the powers that are in heaven shall be shaken, and then shall they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And then shall he send his angels, and shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from the uttermost parts of the earth, to the uttermost part of heaven. Now Jesus looked forward when he was on the earth the first time to that we call the second coming or the return of Christ. He talked about it and he looked at it. That, as I said earlier, could be, uh, the case could be made that that is the second most important event on earth because of all of the things that are going to take place and the transition from this way of sin and this world when Christ returns to the kingdom of God that's going to be set up and all the transitional things that are going to be taking place at his return. And he looked forward to that time when he was going to come back. Now, Jesus was the revelator, the interpreter of Revelation. And we know we have seven seals in the book of Revelation. And Jesus, in Matthew 24, Mark 13, and Luke 21, 
he identifies those seven seals. And he shows that the fifth seal, the Great Tribulation, the sixth seal, heavenly signs, and then the seventh seal, which is comprised of seven trumpet blasts, we'll look at that a little later, and then seven last vials that's poured out in that day of the Lord in that approximate year time, and I, I don't want to take time to show that. We're going through that right now in our Bible studies, uh, verse by verse. That's why it's, it's in my mind so much here, but I want to just leave us with this, go back to this thought that Jesus was anticipating his return. Now let's go to uh, Revelation, the 19th chapter. Revelation 19, and I'm going to begin in uh, verse 11. I have to skip a lot of things here. And I saw heaven opened, John speaking, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he does judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew, but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies, that's one of the, one of the names, not the name that only he knows. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, and with it he should smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And so, Jesus Christ, when he comes. Now, some make the case that all of those... Uh, Accompanying him on white horses are the resurrected sleeping saints that are awakened first because we know the scriptures tell us very clearly their human spirit that Reggie was talking about last Sabbath that is united with God's spirit. When that spirit goes to sleep, it returns to God who gave it. And so the dead in Christ shall rise first and, they, and that's why the scriptures talk about shall come with him. He brings them with him. So if it's a reference to those coming, or if it's angels on white horses. Now, you know, if you're like me, there's a, a few things in the Bible that are kind of a little interesting and very puzzling. And we're going to ask some questions when we meet Jesus and some of the saints and some of those righteous ones. And we're going to have questions. And my question here is, um, those white horses, I mean, do they have a stable up in heaven? Uh, is there a pasture up there for those white horses? Uh, or are they just created when they need them? Are they living? Now, you know, Ezekiel talked about that portable throne of God that has those wheels within wheels that are, have eyes and that there's life, there's spirit. Those, those wheels are living. They're, they're creatures. They're alive. And so when God goes like here, he goes straight. He always goes forward. Here, up, down. Wherever he goes, he doesn't go like that. He always goes Wherever he goes is straight ahead because those four creatures have those four heads that look this way and that way and that way. A man, an eagle, an ox, and a lion. And um, so wherever, wherever God goes on that portable throne, those living creatures are there. So these horses, white horses, by millions, riding by angels. Why well, they go out and lasso one and throw the saddle on him? And does he buck a few times? <laughs> Do you ever think about things like that, little things? I do. Uh, I don't know. I'm going to ask. Where did those, or maybe those white horses are talking horses like Francis? You know, I don't know. Uh, they're some kind of angelic life creature. They're, they're living of some kind, I would think. Um, anyway, he's looking forward to coming back riding that horse and uh, shouting and, and blowing that trumpet. And uh, time of wrath, time of war. That's what we've got to remember. If he didn't come and cut it short, no flesh would be saved alive. Now, I just heard a couple of days, a couple of, well, it was less than two weeks ago, 
on the news. You probably saw, you probably heard this, that they're really worried now that the uh, mission that they sent to Mars, that the uh, rover that landed on Mars, they're really concerned that they are going to pollute Mars because of bacteria that is in the uh, vehicle that went from Earth to Mars and it intermingles with water and then it spreads and pollutes and poisons. So if there's life there, it could be destroyed. We could pollute that planet. But then they came back and said, oh no, but that, that, that's not really a concern so much because we, we put the rover down in this dry bed lake so there won't be any water there. But I'm thinking, I'm puzzling now. We spent billions, supposedly, to send this experiment to Mars to see if there's water there, to see if there's life. And they set this rover, supposedly, where they would find some water and justify the billions of expenses. But now we're told, don't worry, we're not going to pollute Mars because we sent the rover to a dry lake bed where there's no water. Which way is it? I don't know. You, 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 maybe you can help me. Maybe you saw that. Maybe you can help me. That's one of those puzzles that I don't. All right. First Corinthians, the 15th chapter. We have a, a couple of uh, references that we're so familiar with, and, and we just couldn't let the day go by uh, without uh, referencing uh, some of these familiar things here. First uh, Corinthians 15. And uh, verse 50, beginning in verse 50. Now, this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither does corruption inherit incorruption. This was explained to us by Reg last Sabbath. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed alive. Changed, that's we believers, saints. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpets shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So, at the last trump, for well, the trumpets shall sound. We'll, we'll see that a little more. Now, go to Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians. This is the second. These two. 1 Corinthians 15 and Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians 4. 14 through 16. 1 Thessalonians. Verse 13. Now, it's not in the notes here, but I'll just read it. I wouldn't have you to be ignorant, brethren. Hopefully. Concerning them which are asleep that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. In verse 14, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with Him. Notice, He's going to bring them with Him. doesn't say, now we know when it's talking about resurrection and the graves opened and life and things we... We think of that as a reference to death. But the saints' spirits are not down in the grave. We know that. They're up with God in heaven, secured and protected and waiting to be awakened. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent or precede. We won't be ahead of them. The word is precede. We shall not precede them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. So we're greatly comforted in that, but... I have a question here that I don't understand. We'll have to experience it to see. When the Lord himself descends from heaven with a shout. Okay. He's going to blow a trumpet. And he's also going to shout. But is that shout with the voice of the archangel. Is that the archangel shouting? Or is that Jesus shouting? It says, with a shout. 
with the voice of the archangel. And I'm always kind of puzzled. Well, what is he going to shout? Um, wake up? Well, some are awake, and those are on earth are awake, because they're coming with him. So as he comes, uh, maybe it's give up, surrender, come up here, come here. Uh, what are all those summons we hear about those trumpets blasts that were summoning the leaders, summoning to move, get the movement on? Leave, leave where you settle down and move. So he shouts. He blows a trumpet. The archangel blows a trumpet with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Oh, yeah, well, maybe. Maybe it's wake up. I don't know. Maybe it's because they're dead. Maybe, get up, come with me. Then when he comes to earth, come on, or whatever. I don't know. Do you puzzle about those things? Do you know what he shouts? I don't. I hope I'm there to hear it. (laughs) Then I'll understand it and follow through with whatever he says. If he says, come up here, I'll go up there. Uh, Whatever. Get ready. Whatever. Okay. Um, There's there's something else. We want to change here. Tack. If you're out on the lake in a boat, you know, and you tack, you go this way, and then you go this way, and then you're always going this way, but you have to go this way, and then you have to go this way to go that way. Okay. So we're going to tack a little bit here to... To Isaiah, the fifth chapter. You know, I made a commitment. I'm trying to stay with it, but it's hard to kind of be more professional and more serious. And because my some of my humor is getting not very funny. <laughs> it's it's like uh, I asked somebody earlier if they thought I ought to tell this when I go to Canada because I'm going to be hosting or the fun show MC there and uh, about this maybe I should tell it about this old Canadian that um, was telling his friend and you can make it an okey if you want I don't care but he was telling his friend that he bought one of them newfangled uh, thermos jugs and the guy says oh well, what do you do with it and he says well you can keep things hot and cold in it and he says oh well, what you got in it he said I got some coffee and some popsicles Okay, back to the message here. <laughs> oh, see, we're going to Isaiah, the fifth chapter. <laughs> I know you're just waiting for me to get professional and get off these corny jokes. <laughs> uh, okay, okay. Now, Isaiah, the fifth chapter. Verse 26. In uh, verse 30 and surrounding verses, it says, in that day. So the context is, in that day, the day of the Lord, the return of Christ. But verse 26, just cutting into the midst of all of these verses. And he will lift up an ensign, a signal, a flag, to the nations from afar. And will hiss unto them. From the end of the earth, and behold, they shall come with speed swiftly. Now, this word hiss, the word hiss is whistle. Now, I'm not going to whistle. I could have had Brian bring up some whistles. But my brother was a good whistler, and he could go like that or like that, or, you know, he could make some shrill whistles. Some of you men are good whistlers, right? You can make that sharp whistle. And others, others of us are left with a little puny whistle or something like that, you know, different, different ways. But some can really give a strong, piercing whistle that can be heard a long way. How many of you can do that, guys? What? Nobody wants to, just, that's what happens. Nobody raise their hand because they don't want to be volunteered. Give us a loud whistle. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, yeah, we don't want that. 
Aren't you trying to be a comedian or something? <laughs> okay. So, it means it's going to whistle. It's going to... Okay. Which way is it? He's going to shout. He's going to blow the trumpet. He's going to whistle. Or does he do all of them? You know, some people don't listen very well. David's guys. Earphones on back there. Can you hear me, David? I hear you well. <laughs> okay. Uh, none shall be weary nor stumble among them. None shall slumber nor sleep. Neither shall the girdle of their loins be loosed, nor the latchet of their shoes be broken. Whose arrows are sharp and all their bows bent. Their hooves, or horses' hooves, shall be counted like flint. And, they, and their wheels like a whirlwind. Their roaring shall be like a lion. They shall roar like young lions. Yea, they shall roar and lay hold on the prey. And shall carry it away safe. And none shall deliver it. And in that day, they shall roar against them like the roaring of the sea. And if one look unto the land, behold, darkness and sorrow. And the light is dark in the heavens thereof. So, Christ's coming. A lot of things are going to be taking place at that time. So we've we got to be awake. We've got to be listening. We've got to be ready for that trumpet sound. For that whistle. For that shout. Whatever it is, when he lifts up that signal, lifts up that ensign, lifts up that banner to Israel and brings them and us from our state of physical and spiritual captivity. Zechariah, the 10th chapter. We were in the 9th chapter earlier, but let's go to the 10th chapter. And uh, verse 3 through 12. I'd like to read all of these verses and listen to them. Mine anger was kindled against the shepherds, and I punished the goats, for the Lord of hosts has visited his flock, the house of Judah, and has made them as his goodly horse in the battle. Out of him, that is, out of Judah, came forth the corner. Out of Judah, out of the Jews, came forth the cornerstone. Jesus Christ, the cornerstone of the building, the temple. The chief stone, the headstone that's missing on that pyramid that's on the reverse side of our great seal, showing that absence of the all-seeing eye of God that's there over the pyramid and the significance of those numbers of 13 that occur on the reverse of our great seal. Out of Him, the nail. Christ, as the scriptures show, is the nail that hangs, that we put in the wall to give uh, a place to hang things on and to give support and strict strength to that uh, building. Out of him the battle bow, and out of him every oppressor, or every leader, every ruler is what it really means here, uh, Israel. Right now, you know, it's interesting that the world is envious and jealous and angry, and they're stirred up by their religious leaders. Don't, don't misunderstand what's going on in the world today. They're stirred up by their religious leaders in their hatred and envy against America and the USA and against our leaders. And look, we've just lost an ambassador here. And we wish our beloved nation would do something about that. But, uh, and they shall be as mighty men which tread down their enemies in the mire of the streets in the battle. And they shall fight because the Lord is with them and the riders on horses shall be confounded. And I will strengthen the house of Judah. And I will save the house of Joseph. And I will bring them again to place them, for I have mercy upon them. And they shall be as though I had not cast them off, for I am the Lord their God, and will hear them. And they of Ephraim shall be like a mighty man. And their heart shall rejoice as through wine. Yea, their children shall see it and be glad. Their heart 
shall rejoice in the Lord. I will hiss for them. I will whistle for them. I will, God says, I will whistle for them and gather them. Now, I know uh, if you read uh, uh, biblical uh, theologians' report, they'll say also as an explanation of this, it means whistle, but it's also the hiss that beekeepers use to attract the bees. Now, I didn't know they did this, but I guess if you go out and hiss like a bee, uh, you can attract some bees. I don't know. Uh, do the beekeepers do that? Do they make a sound or noise when they're uh, changing the hives out and uh, cleansing? If somebody knows, let me know. I don't know. But this is what people who wrote hundreds of years ago say that it's meaning like, uh, whatever it is, it's like a hiss is calling the bees to come. Now, we're not bees, so I like the Hebrew word for whistle better uh, to uh, call. Uh, you know, uh, I used to go out in my front yard sometime and, and I would whistle, call our cat. We had this cat, Bailey, that uh, lived almost 20 years and we finally put her to sleep here a few months ago because she was getting up in age. But she was inside and outside and, uh, you know, when, when she would uh, want out, she would go meow, you know, we'd let her out, but I never could get her to say me in. So uh, I would have to go and whistle, and then she would come. She would come when I would whistle. And so I, what are you doing? I said, whistling for my cat. Well, usually, and she would fetch. I could play fetch with her, throw a toy, and she would go get it and jump and bring it back to me. And sometimes when I was reading or whatever, she'd go get that toy and bring it and drop it on my lap because she'd run out there and wait, you know, for the toy to come out. And she could jump pretty high then when she was younger. When she got old, she just kind of looked at it, you know. And, <laughs> and uh, now, I'm not going to do this today, please. I'll tell you. I'm not going to tell you a comparison that I've made between cats and women. I'm not going to do that. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just going to let it go, okay? Some of you hitting your husbands right about now, okay. We'll let it go. Hey, let's come back more serious here, okay. Um, see, where was I? <laughs> what was it? On hold? Oh, digging a hole. Oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Get out of this one here real quick. Uh, okay, God says he's going to do all these things. Uh, okay, uh, hiss. Oh, yeah, here we are. I will hiss for them and gather them, for I have redeemed them, and they shall increase as they have increased. I'm in verse 8. And I will sow them among the people, and they shall remember me in far countries, and they shall live with their children and turn again. I will bring them again also out of the land of Egypt, and gather them out of Germany, out of Assyria, and will bring them into the land of Gilead and Lebanon, and place shall not be found for them. There's not going to be enough room. So God is going to have to distribute that land from up by Syria through Lebanon all the way down to the river of Egypt for those tribes of Israel and will be allotted uh, a certain amount of uh, miles of uh, area for those representative tribes that are going to be there serving Jerusalem, that are serving the temple that is going to be there. Uh, and he, Christ, he shall pass through the sea with affliction and shall smite the waves in the sea and all the deeps of the river shall dry up and the pride of Assyria shall be brought down and the scepter of Egypt shall depart away. Notice the, the, what's happening in Germany and, and Egypt and the significance of the change of those and, and God's uh, looking out at what he's going to do with Egypt in the future. And I will, verse 12, and I will strengthen them in the Lord. And they shall walk up and down in His name, says the Lord. They shall walk up and down in His name there in the Holy Land, attributing this to God. Now, uh, other scriptures tell us that every man walks after the name of their God, but we will walk after the name of our God. And so, when you go up and down, and what he's saying here, uh, just to kind of uh, shorten this down a little bit, is that everyone has difficulties in life. We have trials and tribulations and difficulties. There's going to be great difficulties ahead. And so we have to pass through those afflictions. And even 
we'll say that even people in the millennium, as wonderful as it's going to be in peace and no war and no violence, still people are going to have problems and they're going to have to sort out some things and they're going to have trials and tests and they're going to have to develop character. And so when we go up and down, we develop character. And as we go up and down in life, just like Matthew was saying in one of their downtimes, their trials and tests, they looked to God and He delivered them. The next day He sent blessings and almost able to meet that difficulty that they were going through. So it was an up and a down. And that's why we all have these roller coasters of uh, life. But God is with them, will be with them, will, will be with us, and those who look to Him. So, uh, now, uh, for uh, closing scriptures and um, comments, uh, let's go to Revelation, the 8th chapter. <clears throat> I'm not going to go through all of these references. I have a number of... Uh, what I was going to explain was the seventh seal that's comprised of seven last plagues. The seventh seal has seven trumpet plagues, and the seventh trumpet plague has seven last vials. And those uh, scripture references, uh, Revelation, the eighth chapter, chapter 10, chapter 11, chapter 15, and chapter 16, and I'm not going to go through those today. Uh, because of uh, time and uh, because uh, you're familiar with those. But, let me say this. Those trumpets that are blasted out by angels have great and important significant things that are going to be taking place on this earth over a year's period of time. The fifth trumpet is nine months. The last seventh trumpet is apparently of those last seven plagues of several weeks or several months' time. So you've got the day of the Lord, the seventh trumpet, the seventh seal, when Christ comes at the last trump. Remember? For the trumpet shall sound, the last trump will blow. And uh, let, me, uh, let me see... Um, Brian, let's just, let's just come up to uh, Revelation, the 22nd chapter. We'll close with this. I think on this day of trumpets, it's been hammered home to us a number of times. The significance of those number of things, the plurality of the reasons why we are here on Monday, keeping this first day of the seventh month of God's biblical calendar called the Memorial of the Blowing of Trumpets, a Day of Trumpets. Uh, let's see, Revelation, the 22nd chapter, just concluding here a few verses. Verse 7, Behold, this is Jesus, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keeps the sayings of the prophecy of this book. And uh, verse 12, And behold, I come quickly. And my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. And in verse 20, He which testifies these things says, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so. Come, Lord Jesus. We're reminded today of the resurrection, of the deliverance of Israel and Judah from future captivity and war. We're reminded of the judgment of God on sinning nations and peoples. We're reminded of His blessings on our offering of ourselves and our money and of our things to Him. We're reminded of the change from this world's way of sin to His glorious kingdom of rule, of peace, of prosperity, and abundance. Now, there's more. There's more to this story that's shown by the next three holy days and those periods that we're going to be in the days ahead examining those a little more closer. So, this is only part 
of why we are here today.